must be devastating for you. Shit house. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 119 of the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's devastated. Hey there, semi pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi Pro Cycling, home of the Semi Pro Cyclist. And you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash switch. And yes, a review to get us underway today. Praise from your man crush. Five stars from Seppi H from the US. Damien's got something to say, man, and he really does. He is the Dr. Carl for cycling, what Dr. Carl is for science and medicine on podcasts. Damien is highly intelligent, smart, funny, and energetic, and does a lot of research. This is quotes from Oliver Sacks, peer-reviewed journals, military, and other guests as to how it can relate to cycling for the show. And I'm not even sure how he pulls off such a quality show each week. There are other cycling podcasts, but they do not even come close to Damien's quality and content of the podcast. For coaching, he is the man. Thank you so much. What you have done has inspired me and made me a better cyclist. I just upgraded to a Cat 3. Sincerely, your mum. No, it's not my mum. It's Seppi H. And damn, that is a solid review. I cracked up the first time I read it. Thank you very much for taking the the time out to write that seppi and well done on the cat 3 upgrade and i hope you make the change with style and crush cat 3 next season and if you do like the show i would love a review on itunes or stitcher because five stars makes me go holy shit balls holy shit balls holy shit balls guess what you guys holy shit balls holy shit balls Thank you very much. Now, the performance probe this week and probe number one, a six-year monitoring case study of a top 10 Grand Tour finisher. This study analyzed the evolution of the physical potential of a twice top 10 Grand Tour cycling finisher at the Tour de France and the Welter. Power output data and training were analyzed over six years to determine the evolution of his record power profile and training load, which were estimated by using the session rating of perceived exertion method. The total annual duration and training load increased through six seasons by 79% and 83% respectively. The record power outputs in all exercise intensity zones improved over the six years. The increases in training load monotony, which is is exactly what it sounds like. It's the level of variation in training from day to day or week to week. And in this case, over the six years, think about it like this. If there's large amounts of variation, it equals less monotony. So this was 34% over six years. And the strain of these six years, which is monotony times load, was 162% from the junior category to the world-class level, significantly correlated with an improvement in his aerobic potential which was characterized by an increase in the record power outputs between five minutes and four hours so this case study provides a comprehensive insight into the evolution of a cyclist at the top level 
It also determines the record power profile of this athlete over six competitive seasons and illuminates the maturation of the physical potential of a top 10 Grand Tour finisher. It would have been so fascinating to follow this along while it was actually happening and then see somebody reaching their potential or at least getting very, very high results and I have to admit myself that I haven't read this entire paper. That sounds really bad, but this paper is so interesting that even knowing that a pro increased their training load by 83% over six years is nuts, let alone the annual duration increase of 79%. Word on the street that the writer is FDJ's Thibault Pino. This case study is an awesome roadmap to get hold of for any aspiring pros out there. And maybe one day I'll pony up and buy the thing. Probe number two, Team USA's nutrition resources and fact sheets. Specifically, three of their general guideline fact sheets, athlete plates on easy days, moderate days, and hard days or race days. They're a quick visual reference for each of these three scenarios to help you out with portion control and meal composition. Things like grains moving from a quarter of a plate on easy days to a third on moderate days and a half plate on race or hard days. I know it's nothing revolutionary, but if you do have some bad habits that you're trying to kick at mealtime, these could be great reminders when you're putting your meals together. Alrighty, let's get to the nuts and bolts this week. And when should you consider making a coaching switch? This is going to be a two-part series on changing coaches. In part one, we'll cover why, when, and how of changing coaches. And in part two, we'll cover things that you can do to make the most of your coaching. This was all sparked by an email I received from a cyclist and listener, John, and also conversations and experiences that I've had as a coach and as an athlete. As an athlete, I've been handed off to high-level coaches only to return to my original coach. I've gone from self-coach to coach and back again, and I've ended two coaching relationships of my own accord. As a coach... I've taken on riders switching from other coaches, but I've never had a rider switch me out for a new coach yet. And recently, I had a conversation with a potential client that's looking to switch to their fourth coach in two years. The reasons behind this are not always clear, though, because the reasons for making a switch can be varied from ruthless performance gains and voracious knowledge gathering to plain neglect and disinterest on the coach's behalf. We'll get into those in just a moment, but for now, here is the actual email that John sent me. I'm a Katsu cyclist in Wisconsin, USA, who is nearly a Cat 1. During your Phil G interview, he talks about switching coaches partway through his career because he didn't want to spend his entire pro life with the same coach. This got me thinking. I've worked hard and made gains in the past year with my current coach, and I expect to continue to make gains in the coming year. I take my training seriously, and I'm committed to putting in the work to keep getting better. For an elite cyclist, when should they consider making a coaching switch? 
This isn't a simple thing for a lot of reasons. My current coach's plan seems to work. We have a good rapport, but I'm not cycling for him. I'm trying to make myself better. I'm hesitant to make such a radical change without looking at it from as many angles as possible, but I'd like to know what someone like you thinks about this. The relationship an athlete has with a coach is really important, giving the amount of time and money is spent, and I wonder if there are things that the athlete can do to make the most of their coaching. Common questions to ask, etc., etc. After I replied, he replied back in a separate email and said that the stakes here are for sure higher than a beginner who is looking for a coach to give fundamental guidance. Why fix it if it's not broken comes to mind, but it doesn't need to be broken to make a switch a possibility. I'm sure Phil didn't make a coaching switch due to a state of frustration and lackluster performance. It was likely a well-thought-out decision at the time. You're right, John. It is a big deal changing coaches. And yes, just like you are experiencing now, not something to take lightly after the hard gains that you've made and the relationship that you formed with your coach over the last couple of years or however long it's been. Before I get into this question, though, a little background. John referenced this part of an interview I did with Phil Guyman. My first coach is Colby Pierce, and he actually, I worked with him for five years and then um, kind of started with a different coach, not because I wasn't happy with Colby, but because we'd been together for five years and I didn't want to do my whole career with the same coach. From listening to it again, there doesn't sound like any particular angst behind Guyman's decision, but on the same hand, it doesn't give us any clues about exactly why he made the switch. If you have been following the show, you would have known that I got Colby Pierce on the show to talk about different coaching methods. And while I was doing some research for that interview, I came across Pierce's coaching philosophies, which are listed on his website. And it's super interesting that this is the first one listed. A coaching relationship is finite. Cycling is a complex, ideological, intricate sport. Your coach paints a picture of this landscape through his perspective, which guides your training and other aspects of event preparation. This perspective will influence how you think in the sport in many ways. However, after a period of time, you will have learnt most or all of what you will from a particular coach. Sometimes an athlete will grow and learn more in their long-term career if they change coaches every so often. The period of optimal productivity may be as few as one or or many seasons. Thus, it is possible there will be a period of time where one or both of us feels that it is appropriate for you to move on to other coaching. This will be a normal and healthy part of the evolution of our relationship. As a coach, I see this as a great way to educate riders about being active in their own development to see a coach as a finite knowledge source and to use the coach as a resource to better yourself, something which you state, John, I'm not cycling for him, I'm trying to make myself better. I also can't help feeling that understanding was at least implicitly built into the relationship Guyman and Pierce had, a genuine understanding that at a certain point it will be time to move on and at that point there'll be no hard feelings and it will just be all the best See you later. But Guyman's ambition has always been huge. And the theme that you will pick up from the interview is how hungry he is for knowledge. It's worthwhile mentioning here that the places he looks for this knowledge is from people that are where he wants to be, writers that are doing the work at the level that he wants to be at. Talks about learning certain things from Jeremy Powell and 
talks about learning nutrition and climbing from Tom Danielson. In some ways, he might have outgrown Pierce's knowledge base. Pierce is now more experienced at World Tour level training, but at the time, he may have been lacking in specific knowledge that he needed to make the jump to a World Tour team. So a couple of higher level questions to tie it back to you, John. Number one, have you learned most or all of what you will from your current coach? Will training be just more of the same this season and are you happy with that? Are there parts that you don't understand that you want to learn and get clarification on over the long term? Are you running out of questions for your coach? All of these things feed into seeing a coach as a stepping stone to getting somewhere in your career and you're the focus of all of the effort and they're on the outside guiding you but you're the one that's actually controlling it. So if you believe that it's more of the same and then this isn't going to benefit you because you need to have different ideas thrown around, different types of training to get to the next level in your writing, then this is definitely something that will support your decision to move away from your current coach. Number two is, does your current coach possess the knowledge of exactly where you want to be? And this may not be as important to you as it was to Guyman, but if it is though, has your coach been a cat one in the US? Do they specialize in the type of races that you want to do well in? If these answers are really important and they don't line up, then that would give you more support to go looking for somebody that does line up with those different things. These two questions really do give you a good starting point to think about it some more. I don't know you well enough to understand your motivation for writing, but if you are after ruthless performance gains and have a voracious appetite for knowledge, then a fresh pool of knowledge that a coach can bring will really serve you well. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, I personally made a switch when I was a junior to a higher level coach and the higher level was in terms of their position in the organization, their experience and everything that followed along with that. I didn't know any better and I was handed off by my original coach as part of the development process and when you are in a development program and you have people looking out for you, these things are kind of taken care for you and you don't have to think about are you maximizing this relationship. I definitely have a word of warning from this experience though. Once I was handed off to the other coach, it led me to being bumped around a little bit from coach to coach in certain situations. So a state coach would do certain events and training camps, and then a national coach would take over at other events and training camps. And sometimes there were gaps. There were gaps between what one person would do and then the next training plan, or when I got to speak to another coach at a certain training camp or whatever. And so that was a really big danger that I would just fall into not doing the correct training at really, really important times, where my first coach was heavily committed in my success and would have at least consulted with these other coaches rather than just give a blind handover. So it was actually him after all of this process that came back on board and got me on the bike again effectively after I retired at 18 and then six months later I went back into training. So it doesn't always work out for the best. So you have to think about whether the risk is worth it which also makes the process of filtering the prospects before you get a coach all the more important. And I've already suggested this to John, but going back and listening to episode 28 will help you here. It's called the 15 questions to ask yourself before you go coach hunting. And it's interesting that number one lines up with exactly what we're talking about. The first question is, why do you want a coach? And it follows this line of, if you were changing coaches, 
What are or were the reasons for the change? It is really important that you clearly understand why you were looking to change and what contributed to this positive and negative. And the two parts that I have this split into are personal and professional. In the personal category, it's more about misunderstandings between your, you and your coach, which can be difference of opinion or expectations or just everything around the actual training. If it wasn't set up correctly, you have to understand whether it was you and your expectations that weren't realistic or was it the other way around. And on a basic level, do you do the work and did you do the work that was needed to achieve the goals that you had both set? In the professional category, one reason would be if the coach lacked skills and knowledge to help you meet your goals, which we've spoken about already. The other one is that the coach doesn't use the technology that you want to incorporate into training. Say you want to use a power meter and they don't know how to use a power meter, then it's a pretty clear cut case then that you want to look for somebody else. But John, I hope that this helps you and I'm going to take a bit of a detour here, but in part two next week, I'll cover things the athlete can do to make the most of their coaching and we can dive a bit deeper into the relationship between athlete and coach. Okay, so you've gone through all of that. You've had a good think and you've decided to make the switch. What is next? This is all about the logistics of switching, how to switch coaches. And while I was sniffing around the internet trying to find Guyman's current coach for whatever reason, which I think is Matt Koshara in New York, I came across an interesting on-topic post on NewYorkVelocity.com called Coach Breakup Argument. And I'll read it to you here because it's kind of funny. Races can be fickle, even promiscuous sometimes when it comes to coaches, and now is the time of year when races reflect upon the past year and quantify their successes or failures and assign credit or more likely start looking for someone to blame. It's the time of year for the coach breakup. How have you broken up with your coach? With a short email, a phone call? Do you take them out to dinner in a crowded restaurant with a long, drawn-out, tearful discussion? Please let us know. Sorry, George. I don't understand. Things were going so great. What what happened? Something must have happened. It's not you. It's me. You're giving me the it's not you, it's me routine? (laughs) I invented it's not you, it's me. Nobody tells me it's them, not me. If it's anybody, it's me. All right. George, it's you. You're damn right it's me. The it's not you, it's me line is an oldie but a goodie. I guess it really doesn't matter whether you do it in person or via email. It would probably depend on the length of your relationship as to how detailed you want to get or your location if you can even do it in person in the first place or whatever. The more important thing here is really about the steps to switching. So I've got four steps here which you can go through as a bit of a checklist when you are switching to make sure that you've rounded out that relationship with the previous coach. Number one is inform your coach of your intentions to change coaches. I know it sounds obvious, but you would be surprised at how difficult it is for some people just to be straight up from a coach's perspective, even if your coach doesn't know it's coming. They eventually know it's coming. They know it's part of the job and they will definitely be cool with it. If they're not, then you are making the best decision. 
decision to leave them. Number two, when you do let your coach know, explain clear reasons for the change. This is not only for you because it will help ease the blow, but it will give the coach feedback to help them with their coaching and their business. As part of this process, make sure you get acknowledgement from the coach that they understand the reasons for the change. Number three, finalize your financial details. Pay what you owe and be done with it. If you don't want to be coached for that last day of your agreement, then just walk away. If it's a couple of days, there's no need to be a jackass about it. Leave on good terms. Also, you don't really need to go as far as signing an agreement, but make it clear with your present coach that you have paid in full all outstanding bills. I'm not giving legal advice here, but do it in writing. Number four, organize your data and collect your personal information. This includes the logistics of the coaching software that you're using and whether your new coach is going to be using the same program. It also includes knowing what happens to the software after you've ended the coaching relationship. Has the software been paid for by your coach and what happens when you stop? Do you need to start paying if you want to keep that information in that software? A really important part here also is can you take your data out of the software if you want to move it around? Because if your coach has a different software platform that you're going to move the data to. You have to know how to do this. Definitely your new coach can help you with this process, but just understanding that this has to be done when you're talking to your new coach is probably the minimum that you want to have done. Also, personal information that your coach holds, make sure that they give you everything they have and they destroy all data that they've kept on you so you you don't have any more problems in the future. Okay, that wraps up part one. And really those two questions that I brought up are really the most important things to be thinking about when you are thinking about that stepping stone to your performance. Because if you want to collect the knowledge from a coach, their training methods, the way they do things for events, preparing and things, and then you want to take that and move that to another level because you believe that that change is going to help you, it doesn't always have to be upwards. It could be sideways because of, like I said, have they been there before? Is that important to you, including the type of event that they train? Have they done that themselves? So definitely, I hope this gives anyone thinking about changing coaches some more clarity and especially you, John. Hope this has helped answer your question. Let me know what the outcome is. I'm really interested to hear what you decide and the reasons for either staying or switching. Alrighty, let's get to the tech hacks and products section. And this week, it's a website. I guess it's a product. It's called Pro Tested Gear. Basically, they are an eBay agent or a consignment eBay store where you drop off or you send them your gear for sale and they take care of the rest. They do the photography, the posting, the selling all of the transactions, and then they send you a cut of whatever the check they get for your goods. I don't know what their fees are, unfortunately, because it's not on their website, but I thought it was an interesting concept because it was started by a pro cyclist, and I'm sure he put it together to sell his gear at the end of the season, and then it blew up from there, and now it's into this service that's been going for six years, and they're claiming that they're the East Coast's top consignment cycling and outdoor eBay store. So, well done, guys, and if you are in the U.S., I'll have their website on the show notes, and if you want to get rid of some gear with minimal effort, I guess you can get in contact. And now that quote from the top of the show, it's Brad McGee. This is when he was DS at Saxo after a bad day in the mountains with Andy Schleck. Brad has been back coaching at the New South Wales Institute of Sport 
for anyone outside of Australia, that is a state in Australia. He's been back on Australian soil for a couple of years now, taking care of the young charges and has led some great initiatives like turning the New South Wales Institute of Sports Cycling Program into a team with corporate sponsors. It's pretty rad stuff, if you ask me. It is taking the government side of institutes and funding and moving it into a more professional operation. And I'm sure we'll start to see more names than Caleb Ewan come out of this program. And that's it. You have been listening to the Semi-Pro Performance Podcast. Remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash switch to find any links used in this week's episode. From there, you can click on any coaching link on the site or visit semiprocycling.com forward slash coaching for more information on our coaching packages. But till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. Brad McGee, uh, sports director with uh, Saxo Bank. Uh, it must be devastating for you. Shit house. Just to, to see a guy like that, I mean, you put all the effort in and the boys just did another wonderful job and Andy was, you know, he's just on top of things. Yeah, to be honest, he suffered a little bit early in the race but then got himself sorted and he was full of uh, ambition and, and confidence by the time we hit the hill. And then, poof, uh, I didn't even know what happened. It was something, chain jump or something well, like that. Vinokurov oh, what's happened? His chain's off. Slack's chain's off. Yeah, well, this is what's his, his chain is jammed. The Contador's gone. He, well, this is terrible. For, well, for Slack. Well, look it, at this. At this moment in time, he could be losing his yellow jersey. But, uh, yeah, so bang, jersey gone. But already, you know, you catch your breath, and I'm sure Andy is, or will, and uh, work out what we do about it tomorrow. You actually had to stop twice. It looked like something to do with the front derailleur on the chain. It got stuck. And... Yeah, I mean, we couldn't see from where we were. We were just trying to yell at cameraman and commissaires and just try to, to get access to him. I mean, it's just an absolute uh, mess up on those climbs. It's just so much going on. So by the time we got to him, it was running again smooth, but of course he'd lost the jump and, um, and just suffered to try to bring him back on the descent. It was a dodgy descent, I've got to tell you. Probably the worst decent you could have to try to bring back time on, you know, because you take the risk, you're off the edge. So, uh, back to plan B for tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll take care of it, don't worry about that. We'll come back strong. Uh, Just have to, yeah, rewrite the plan a little bit. Yeah, we'll just get him calm, get him fed up again, and, you know, he forgets to eat dandy sometimes. You've got to remind him that and uh, fill his legs up and he'll be ready to rock tomorrow, don't worry about that.